carbohydrates in the body. I'm not going to do this for you, but you should be able to, to do the review of digestion from the mouth to the small intestines, both chemical and mechanical. How do we get to absorbable parts? You should also be able to review absorption. Once we have our absorbable parts, we need to talk about what happens once these things are absorbed. First, however, you, you're going to have a problem if something isn't absorbed. This is basically lactose intolerance. You can't break down lactose. It's going to be acted on by bacteria, draw water to itself, produce acid and gas. Some of the symptoms could be abdominal distension, gas, cramping, or diarrhea. This is typically not an all or none condition. The amount of lactose can be tolerated varies from person to person. The enzyme actually begins to decrease by age two, and in non-dairy consuming societies, lactase production drops about 90% in the first four years of life. The symptoms may not even show up until after six years old or adulthood. The slide on the right, again, addresses lactose intolerance. Um, basically, it's going to be dictated by genetics, and that's something we'll talk about here in a second. But 30 to 50 million Americans have trouble, but it's more common in certain cultures. Some things like yogurt and cheese may be easier to handle because some of the lactose is digested by bacteria or lost in the processing. There's something else called secondary lactose intolerance. Secondary means secondary to another condition or medication. So for example, Crohn's, irritable bowel, or ulcerative colitis. Back to the idea that lactose intolerance is dictated by genetics. It's going to be more common in people of Asian, African, Native American, and Mediterranean descent. And of course, these are all approximations. Uh, but nearly 100% of the Asian population is intolerant. Um, however, dairy consumption has been on the increase compared with traditional diets. So they have a lower prevalence despite this genetic predisposition. 90% Asian American, 75% African American, 15% Caucasian American, and 5% in Northwestern European populations. So approximately 70% of the global population cannot tolerate lactose into adulthood. What we view as being lactose intolerant to the rest of the world is just being normal. Some cultures don't drink milk past the time when they're weaned, and these people, like us, are in the minority. Uh, we actually are considered lactose persistent. In societies where the diet has relatively little dairy, um, lactose intolerance is not a condition that requires a treatment or a pill or a special milk. In the United States, we have lactate pills, lactate milk, and lactose-free products. Okay, so what happens when carbohydrates actually enter the body? The main function of carbohydrate is to provide energy, but first we have to address how it gets to the cells. How is it regulated in the blood? And then once it's delivered, we can talk about energy. The bottom right talks about glycemic response. That's basically the rate, magnitude, and duration of the rise in blood glucose that occurs after a food has been consumed. So basically, how quickly and how high does my blood glucose rise after I eat? So after it's absorbed. This can be affected by many things. 
basically how long it takes for gastric emptying. So the rate at which it leaves my stomach will help dictate the rate at which appears in the blood. Start to think about all the things that affect gastric emptying and what might slow the glycemic response. If we want to talk about a specific food, we have to talk about the glyce glycemic index. So the glycemic index is the glycemic response of a specific food. The glycemic index was developed back in the 1980s and it was developed to help people maintain a steady blood glucose. It's a ranking from 0 to 100 and you can see that high is 70 to 100. There's a list of foods there that are high on the glycemic index scale. So white bread, white rice, cornflakes, uh, glucose, and maltose. And if you see right there, watermelon and carrots, those are going to come up later. Moderate is 56 to 69. And something you don't see on the moderate list is whole wheat bread. Most bread made with 100% whole wheat flour have high fiber. So you assume that they will be low glycemic index. But a lot of these brown breads are treated with enzymes to soften the crust. This makes the starch more accessible and it also makes the glycemic index higher. Okay, low would be under 55. That's most fruits and vegetables, legumes, fructose, and nuts. So you have to be careful. It's not just the idea that simple things are a high glycemic and complex or low. There's always going to be exceptions. You can read this formal definition, but simply it's a ranking of how a food affects blood glucose as compared to a reference food. Typically that reference food is pure glucose. So the food is compared or expressed relative to that. We basically measure this by having an overnight fast and then you have to consume 50 grams of this reference food or 50 grams of the food you're going to be testing. So both the standard and test food must have equal number of available carbohydrates at 50 grams. And the word available is really important. We're then going to measure the area under the curve for the test food over the area under the curve for the reference food and multiply it by 100. And I'll kind of show you how this works in class. This is typically done over two hours. So you will come in, eat 50 grams. Your blood glucose will be taken over a two hour period. We look at how your blood glucose rises and how it falls. So basically how it's cleared out of the blood and that creates a curve. And then we measure the area under that curve. What this really tells us is how rapidly a particular carbohydrate turns into sugar. It doesn't really deal with how much you eat or if it's realistic because it must be 50 grams of available. Basically, you need to know both to see how blood glucose is affected. We can only apply this to food with reasonable amount of carbohydrate content because you have to consume enough to get 50 grams. So again, carrots, if you look back a couple slides on that list, they have a high glycemic index. But to, to get a high glycemic index, you have to eat a pound and a half of carrots to get 50 grams of available glucose because they're high in fiber. Same for strawberries. You have to eat four cups to get 50 available grams. Most people only eat one cup. There are entire diets revolving around the idea of the glycemic index, and we'll watch some commercials in class 
Um, but the South Beach diet and the Nutrisystem diet are both based on this idea. What we have here is glycemic load. This is based on glycemic index and portion size. We're comparing the effect of a typical portion of food on blood glucose. So this should be more practical than glycemic index. There's a formula there, um, but basically you're taking glycemic index, dividing it by 100, and multiplying it by the available carbohydrate in the food. So again, it has to be available to us for energy, so we have to subtract out the amount of fiber. Glycemic load also has a ranking system, so you have low, medium, and high. So if you do the math, you can see some foods have a high glycemic index, but a low glycemic load. And again, back to the example of carrots. To get 50 grams available, I have to eat a pound and a half. But when I eat a normal portion size, they really don't affect my blood glucose. Another example is watermelon. That was on the high glycemic index list at 72. But a serving of 120 grams has six available grams of carbohydrate. So if you do the math, you come up with an answer of 4.32. That means it has a high glycemic index, but a low glycemic load. The thing with both glycemic index and load is that they look at single foods. So if I eat one thing or that one piece of fruit, I can use these numbers. A lot of the times I eat a mixed meal. So a high glycemic index food with a low glycemic index food will often average out to a moderate glycemic index. Sometimes it's difficult to look at an entire meal, but there are studies based on glycemic index, the Shanghai Women's Health Study and the Black Women's Health Study. And what these studies show are that women whose diets are high, highest glycemic index were 21% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes. You should be able to figure out why that occurs. Please come to class with any questions or clarifications that you need.